Today we are talking with professional skier and Viz mentor Rosie Brennan. Rosie competed at and graduated from Dartmouth College. She is a two-time Olympian and had multiple top 15 finishes in the 2022 Olympics. Rosie has had many successes in her career, but also lots of challenges that she explores with us on the Voice and Sport podcast. Rosie is an amazing part of the Voice and Sport community as a Viz mentor, where she leads sessions about challenges with mind when it comes to racing and fueling as an athlete. Today, Rosie speaks with us about how she first found skiing. For whatever reason, that mix of like endurance and strength and power that cross-country skiing requires just like really suited me. Her journey with making and being cut from the national team twice. And so I, I was dropped at the end of my sophomore year of college and it kind of felt like I was, you know, high, <laughs> high on life. And then suddenly I just like hit the floor and I didn't really understand why. I think that was the hardest part. And how she recovered from not only this, but a couple freak accidents as well. Mostly I realized that like I still really love skiing and I felt like I hadn't like these kind of freak accidents had really like taken the wind out of my sails, but they hadn't allowed me to reach what I thought was my potential. And I just always had this question of like, what is my potential? And I wanted to find out. Before we get started, if you love this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and join our community at voiceandsport.com. Rosie, welcome to the Voice and Sport podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do a podcast. I've listened to quite a few now, so I'm glad to have my turn. Well, you are an incredible part of our Voice and Sport platform. You've been one of the first mentors, part of the Viz League quite a while. So we're so thankful to have you. And you have such an amazing experience and also journey to share with all of our young girls. So we're going to start with where you grew up. I'd like to say that we can claim you as an Alaskan, but unfortunately we can't. You you grew up in Park City, but you know, just for like the sake of everybody else out there, she does live in Alaska now. So I'd like to say you're an Alaska athlete. For sure. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Park City, Utah uh, for my whole childhood. I left when I graduated high school and uh, went to college in Dartmouth College and then have been in Alaska ever since. So that's been Gosh, I think 11 years now. So yeah, I'm Alaskan too. Yeah, so you're Alaskan. So we'll just skip over that whole, you know, uh, Park City part. But uh, it is a big part of your journey. So we wanted to start way back and just kind of how you got into the sport of skiing and the influence of your family and friends. So let's go back to when you attended a Winter Olympics in 2002. Was that the moment in which you uh, saw ski racers and thought, oh, this is something that I want to do? Uh, kind of. <laughs> uh, I mean, growing up in Park City, you know, it's of course a ski town and a resort town uh, and also has always attracted high level athletes from a variety of sports. So I feel very fortunate to have lived in a community where athletics was just kind of a part of everyone's normal day life and particularly winter sports and, and skiing and snow sports. Uh, I remember we had America's opening, which was an Alpine World Cup. Uh, that was like the first race of, of the season that was in Park City for many years. And I remember going to that and like, getting my Alpine helmets signed by the racers and that kind of fun stuff. Um, had like bike uh, cups and stuff too. So there was definitely a lot of events going on that made it seem pretty normal to me. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. And then the 2002 Olympics came to Salt Lake. I was in seventh grade, which was a great age. I had three weeks off school, which I think is every kid's dream. <laughs> and then, you know, it's the Olympics. Well, my parents both had to work, so I have a twin brother. And so together we like kind of navigate things together. So we would like up and figure out what events were going on in town. So we jump on the city bus like, to the street, see who 
what pins we could collect and whose autographs we could get. And then we were lucky enough to go to a bunch of events with our parents and then also with the school. Uh, it was like a really incredible three weeks and just you got to experience so many different sports and see this huge celebration of just sport and people coming together. And that was definitely very impactful on me. And one of the coolest parts was like after the Olympics, there's all legacy foundation, but it, it basically money that was there to um, promote youth sports. And so at that point, I had the opportunity to try a bunch of different sports too, because there were new programs for all the sports. So like, my brother and I both did the skeleton camp, uh, which is something probably very few people have done. So like I, I've done skeleton, which if you know how much I like downhills, you're probably like, what? <laughs> Why she did that? Uh, yeah. So I got to like try all these cool things like that. Uh, and eventually I realized that the speed was not for me and that cross country skiing was a little more of my alley. But my family always alpine skied growing up. So I, I had been on skis since I was probably three years old, but I didn't um, cross country ski until I was 14. Um, it was definitely more of like an Alpine centric town. And so cross country was a little bit of a niche sport then. Uh, I was a little bit of a late starter there, but uh, it was really a perfect fit for me. And so I, my life kind of changed at that point. Well, it's really cool because I think even earlier for a lot of young athletes in the US, particularly, their parents push them really hard to get into sports and then try to get them to specialize really early. And there's a ton of pressure for a lot of young kids out there in sports in the US. And it sounds like your mom did suggest a few times that maybe you should try skiing and you should get out there, but you didn't really start seriously seriously getting into skiing, like you said, until around eighth grade. Um, so did you immediately approach it from a competitive perspective or did you start sort of just with this idea that it's fun and I kind of just want to do it casually? Like when did that Olympic dream really start to hit you? Yeah, that's actually really interesting because I'm definitely a competitive person, but I don't, I'm also like pretty shy. And so I don't know if it was just that combination that made it hard to like express it as a kid, but it was watching the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. I remember like really clearly being at my grandmother's house in the gymnastics team and they won gold and Carrie Strug had like broke her ankle and had to do a second vault after that. And they, she landed it somehow and won the gold. And it was just like the most insane thing I'd ever seen. And that was actually when I was like, okay, I have to find a way to get to the Olympics. Like I didn't know what sport then, but I was like, I think this is for me. Like I'm going to find a way there. So I always kind of had that in the back of my head, like from a pretty young age. And my parents were completely offered for me to do the Alpine ski team. I played soccer. I did gymnastics. I played tennis, I did a ton of sports. And I don't know what it was, but really didn't want to alpine race. Like, I was terrified of it. Like I had trouble like, expressing my competitiveness when I was young. And so I always kind of like was a little bit shy, I think, to like go for these competitive teams. But I do think for whatever reason, that mix of like endurance and strength and power that cross-country skiing requires just like really suited me. And so I think I did turn to wanting to be competitive pretty quickly. Only things like clicked and it fit my personality. And what I enjoyed to do enough that it was like, okay, I can see how to be express my competitiveness now. And so then I kind of accelerated from there. I love that. It sounds like you accelerated really fast though, because you made the US ski team pretty quickly. So do you want to talk about what that journey was from like when you started to like when you made the ski team? Yeah, I had a really steep improvement curve. Uh, so maybe it was accelerated, but I do think I, I still went through all the steps. They were maybe just a little shorter than some people. Uh, so like my first year, like, I was literally just learning how to ski. I didn't make any championships. I think I was probably close to last in most of my races, but I really loved it. And 
my motivation was honestly just to keep up with the other kids on my team. Like I did a lot of extra training just because I like wanted to be able to ski with my friends and like up and like part of the team because it was a really neat atmosphere and, and a fun group of people to be with. And then once I started to get the hang of that, then you know, I started to see my results improve and I was encouraged by that. And so then I started doing well in like our regional races. And then for skiing, you, we have junior nationals. So once I made that and that like introduced me to this whole nationwide community of skiers, I started to make friends with people from other places. And so that was really cool experience. And so I was really um, encouraged by that and like wanted to do well there. And so then I moved on to the step of like winning at junior national level. Um, and then that opened up the world to like international racing. So at that point I qualified for my first international trip, um, which is a really cool experience. Cause then you realize like this whole worldwide community of cross country skiers and you meet people from other countries and, and we got to travel to Europe. And also you got to know your American teammates a lot closer cause you're stuck in another country with them. Uh, and you know, back then it was, this makes me sound really old, but like getting internet was honestly challenging and we didn't have iPhones that could connect anywhere in the world. So you were definitely kind of figuring things out a little bit with your teammates or so maybe than you are now, which was a really cool experience to make friends and all that. And so I had some good success at the world junior championships. And that's what ultimately led to me getting named to the national team my senior year of high school. And so it was kind of a whirlwind. Like I picked up the sport and then before I knew it, it was like, I cared about and all I was doing and just so important in my life. And then I found myself on the national team and then but, uh, you know, like uh, improvement doesn't go like that forever. I think a lot of people will have like these kind of steep curves and then you plateau for a long time and sometimes even dip and then you have to come back up. And so I was fortunate to have the first part of my career uh, that quickly, but whole part hasn't been like that. Soon. Well, and that's exactly what we're here to talk about today, right? Because you did it's part of your story. You had this incredible, like steep acceleration right at the beginning, right? Starting in eighth grade and then going to your senior year in high school and making the U.S. team and going to Worlds. That's pretty incredible. Um, and then I'll fast forward to you're 33 years old and you'd have been to two Olympics. But between that first start and like two Olympics, there were some ups and downs. There, you were on the team, you were off the team. Like there was some pretty big injuries. And so we're going to unpack that today and really learn from you about how you stuck with it and like was your mindset about this whole journey. Because skiing is also one of those sports that's very male-dominated. And so there's not a lot of women coaches involved. I was there, not at your level, but I got to that junior Olympic level on, in alpine skiing, and I never once had a woman coach. I felt really, really lonely as a woman skier racing internationally, and that was actually one of the reasons why I quit the sport. It's also one of the reasons why we're building Voice in Sport, so that other young athletes like yourself, well, you know, the earlier version of you... <laughs> can have access to incredible role models like you. Uh, so I want to kind of talk about like earlier years because um, I think it's 2018 stats, 60% of skiers were male, 40% were women. And that's according to the Snow Sport Industries America studies. So pretty male-dominated. Um, can you just talk about that journey, a woman athlete in a male-dominated sport in those early years for you? Was it challenging? Did you feel alone? Or what really kind of kept you motivated through that? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say I was very lucky uh, growing up in Park City. There were tons of female athlete role models around me. Um, and so I definitely never questioned it as a young girl, which I am so thankful for. Uh, mom is 
athletic and gets out every day and skis and, and hikes and runs and does all that stuff. And, and she's very strong and like had that day role model. And then you also had a lot of alpine skiers in our community. There was like Peekaboo Street, Holly Flanders. I actually became friends with a good friend with one of her daughters. Um, and then I was also really lucky that there was like Keegan Randall was like kind of coming up at that same time. And Wendy Wagner, she's like Park City. So I actually like knew her. And so I did have some good examples. Uh, but I will say I there were girls on our Nordic team. Uh, I didn't have any girls the same age as me. I When I first joined the team, there was a girl that I became very, very close with. who was about like three or four years older than me. And so, you know, she graduated and then I was left there. And then there was another girl that came along that was a few years younger than me. Um, later. So we did a little bit of training, but for a lot of it, I was more or less the only girl on the team. And I guess that's where I'm lucky that I had the strong female role models. Cause I just never questioned like, well, of course I'm just going to go train with the boys then. And it was never an issue. I was friends with them. We got along. And I think it, that's probably the biggest reason my career accelerated the way it did is because I was chasing the boys the whole time. I think skiing, cross country skiing in particular is a community that is, is accepting in that way. And, and I had coaches that facilitated that they weren't like separating me out because I was a girl or anything like that, but it was hard to be the only girl on the team. Like there were times when that was challenging, like it wasn't always fun. Um, and that's why I loved taking these bigger events, junior nationals and world juniors and stuff, because I, I would meet other girls then and, and uh, make arrangements in the summer. Like Sun Valley had a ton of girls. So I would like to up there for a week or something to train with girls. And I made uh, really good friends with Sadie Bjornson, who in, later in life then reconnected up here in Alaska. And so we would like, train together quite a lot in the summer because she was also from a small town that didn't have a ton of people training. And so um, I made it work and I feel really lucky that I did have those role models. Uh, and I think it is important to have those. So you don't ever question, like if all you have is boys, oh, well, like you just make it work. Like they can deal with it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Love it. Well, being selected to the U.S. ski team, right in your senior year, it's been pretty surreal. So did you feel any added pressure by being on the team this young? And if so, how would you recommend to other younger athletes out there who might be dealing with an extreme amount of pressure? <laughs> how do you deal with that pressure in the moment? Yeah, that is really hard. I definitely felt a lot of pressure. And at that point, I just wanted to do do what made everyone happy. Like I was trying to please everybody. And that made it really hard to balance my personal needs with like everything that needed to get done. And then also try to meet everyone else's needs too. And I think that's what I struggled with the most was like trying to be perfect in everybody's eyes. Uh, I felt a lot of pressure then to not go to college. And I ultimately decided to go and so then when I showed up in college, like, you know, you're a freshman. I mean, I moved from Utah to New Hampshire. So I moved across the country. I knew nobody had a new team. I was living on my own for the first time. And then I had a high school coach who was like still trying to like support me and advise me. I had a new college coach who was trying to write my training plan and get me out training. And then I also had national team coaches who were trying to tell me what to do. And so I had like three different people trying to coach me all while I'm like trying to figure out how to just live on my own for the first time. And so it was really, really overwhelming. And I am just someone that like did want to please everyone and do everything that everyone expected of me. And like, I think in the first few weeks, I just like crumbled. Like I tried to do all the training that everyone was asking me. I immediately got sick, you know, had to like pull up in my dorm room, couldn't do anything. <laughs> it was just like too much. And so I was able to like talk to all the coaches and like figure out when I'm at school, I need to just like click into the program that's here because I chose to be here. And I decided to do just like with two feet into my college program and then selected like one or two ski team camps that I could like make 
work with my professors and my coaches. And then in the summer, I would go back to my home club and work with my high school coach. But I had to kind of like delineate it all for it to work together because it's just like really hard to try to meet so many people's standards all at once while like trying to take care of yourself. And What was the biggest lesson, I guess, when you take a look back on that? Because what you're describing is like you were really trying to serve a lot of other people's needs. Yeah. What do you feel like are the biggest lessons that you learned in those tra- that transition from high school to college? Yeah, I think you have to meet your own needs first before you can even attempt to meet other people's. Because if you're not like kind of full yourself, you don't have any part of you to give to someone else. Um, so I think that was probably the first part. And then I think the biggest actual practical strategy to get through it was like having very, very clear communication. And I mean, I think that's something that I still struggle with today, but that was maybe my first lesson in it. Like if you don't tell a coach, like, what you need or are clear about like, okay, I'm overwhelmed by having this many people tell me what to do. Like I need to make a plan. Like if you're not very clear about those things, it's hard for that person to to help you because in the end, all those people were trying to do what was best for me. uh, And they just didn't know that that wasn't what was actually best for me at that time. And so I'm the only one that like has the ability to tell them that because I'm the only one that knows my feelings. Uh, And so like having that very clear communication with those around you, how you're feeling and how you're doing, what you need, what's going to actually help you improve and what takes care of your well-being is super important. Well, your freshman year of college, you unfortunately suffered a, a back injury and you were later dropped from the U.S. ski team after two years. So how did this impact your motivation to continue skiing? Do you remember that moment and how did you feel? And then I guess more importantly, how did you really climb out of that? Yeah, that was very hard. And I started in college at 18 and going to Dartmouth, which was this great school with a great ski team. I was on the national team. Like, honestly felt like, wow, life can't get any better. I think I've made it. Like, check that box. (laughs) And then like, you know, that fall, I like for this severe back injury, you know, like colleges has its rough spots. I really loved it, but freshman year was hard. Um, And then eventually the ski team went in a different direction and decided not to support athletes that were in college. And so I, I was dropped at the end of my sophomore year of college. And so it kind of felt like I high on life. And then suddenly I just liked the floor and really know that was coming. Um, and I didn't really understand why. I think that was the hardest part. I felt like I had held up my end of the deal. And so I was kind of like, why am I here? And then when you don't know why you start to question like, well, I guess they don't believe in me. So I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. And so that was really challenging. I guess just kind of by chance, but Dartmouth does like a sophomore summer. And so I was already set to be in school that summer and be training uh, with my college team. And thank God, because it just kind of like, I, I didn't really have much of a choice that was required. Everyone had to do it. And so I just kind of clipped into that group and realized like how much I just like loved being part of a team and like seeing and was preventing me from ski training, from racing in college, from even doing like emails and all those things. Like my college team was still going to support me. I had a coach that really cared and like wanted to help me. They were also confused why I got cut. So they were like supportive of like, you know, like you can keep going. We're going to support you. Like we're going to push through this. And so like slowly like, over the course of the summer, I think I just started to a little bit of belief. Like, you know, it wasn't like one day I woke up and was like, I can do this, but you know, just like being surrounded in like a, a good training group with really supportive coaches. I just slowly gained back that confidence and realized that I, I did want to race and, and I wanted to try to not only race college, but to like try to race on a national level as well. Um, and that I still thought I could get back there. And so I was glad that I had joined a team that 
allowed that and that I could still compete. And so I think college is good for that reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you touched on this uh, topic of confidence, right? I think in those moments when you take a look at your journeys and you there's a big dip in an injury, for example, for you, it was like two things at once. You got injured and then just after that, you got cut from the US ski team. So how do you build your confidence back up? And when you know you talk about some of these topics also on the voice and sport platform with girls. So what advice do you have to other girls that might be in that one of those like valleys yeah. right now and they're trying to build their confidence back up how do you do that yeah I mean unfortunately it's like not something you can go out and like pick off a tree or something you know like I wish it was but it's not um, so I think what I found for myself is that I get a lot of confidence from the work and so when I'm in those lows I have to sit down and like really think about what I want to do and then make a plan for how to get there and then when I have this plan, it's like something that I can chip away at every day, like something I can do every day to like move forward where I'm trying to get to. Uh, and then when I'm going out and training every day, um, I have a training log. So I like write down what I did that day. Uh, and then when you get to some point where you're like, you know, have I improved? Like is this working? Like you can literally go back in your training log and be like, wow, look at all this work I did. Like, of course, I, if you train that much, you're going to get better. So I think I gain a lot of confidence from like putting in the work and, and the work is like something that I very much have control over. I decide if I go and train every day, like it's nobody else's decision. And I decide like how focused I am during that training session and like how much I do that day. Um, to some extent, even what type of workout, depending on the environment you're in. And, and so like something that I feel I have control over. And when I go and do it every day, then that confidence just slowly starts to come back. And I line up to like, basically I'm questioning, I can go back and actually physically look and see all the training that I logged um, and know that I've put in the work. So like I should have the, the fitness to like this race or the skills to do the event or whatever it is. And, and so that's, that's been very helpful for me. Well, you also had to persevere like multiple injuries throughout your college career. I think you were, you're gaining back your confidence. You were getting back into things. And then you had freak accident a little bit, a crash, you crashed a mountain bike in Moab, which caused you to tear your PCL. So then again, you're back on this injury train again and trying to recover. So in those moments, how important was it for you to have a support system around you of coaches and teammates to keep you motivated? And what did they say to you in those moments that really convinced you to really need to go for your dreams? Or did you ever doubt? And did you say to yourself, maybe I'm done? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually quit. <laughs> well, not then. So I like crashed my mountain bike um, and I tore my PCL. And at that point I was still like, okay, I'm going to make it through this. Like, I'm just going to go on. And the doctor said I could keep racing with it. And so I just like pushed through and I raced the whole season with it torn. But I just never felt like I could race like I wanted to. Like, this wasn't skiing like myself. And so I ultimately decided to have surgery in the spring and it's like a pretty significant surgery. Uh, and I had never had a surgery that extent before. And so the recovery was a lot more demanding and longer than I anticipated, um, which was challenging. And then just as I was like starting to get my feet back under me, I crashed my car in a snowstorm. I like lit off the road and it ended up totaling my car and I got a concussion. Um, and I couldn't race at that point. And so it was right before Christmas. And so I flew home for Christmas um, and our nationals for skiing are in January. So like I can't ski and nationals are like two weeks away. And at that point I was just like, I think the world is telling me like, this isn't for me. So I decided I was quitting skiing um, and I wasn't going to raise nationals. And like, I was just kind of done. So I started researching grad school because I was a senior that year. And so I needed to figure out what I was going to do after college. 
Um, so I started looking into different graduate programs and I was headed that direction. And then when I flew back to school um, to start the winter semester, coach called me in and was like, I don't care if you keep skiing after college, but like team needs you. Like you owe this like to the team and like your teammates to like race this year. And I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> like this team has been like so important to me. Uh, I like still really want to be a part of it. And so I agreed that I would like start training again and like do my best to like be there for the team. Um, having those kind of people in your court, I think is likely really important. And also why it's important to be part of a team because it is, even though like things an individual sport, like we were in it together and like, we wanted to support one another and I wanted our team to do well in college. It's a little more of a team sport because you get a team score and everything. And so wanted to contribute to that as well. And so, um, I kind of pulled it together and decided I would at least race out the college season and, uh, started improving faster than I thought. Uh, and so by the end of the year, I was like in an okay place. And I, I realized that like, I still really loved skiing and these kind of freak accidents had really like taken the wind out of my sails, but they hadn't allowed me to reach what I thought was my potential. And I just always had this question of like, what is my potential? And I wanted to find out. So I, I couldn't just like stop there. So <laughs> here I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so interesting, right? Cause you had this moment where you quit, you were like, no, I'm done. And that was before you had gone to the two Olympics that you have now been to. And so I just think it's so interesting that you, you have these moments and I'm sure a lot of young girls have the same thing. Might not be at, at the same level, but where they just decide one day like done, uh, but having people around you that, that care for you and thinking about the bigger picture of what sport can do for mm -hmm. you or do for your well-being is also really key. Like it's not all about like going to the Olympics and winning a yeah. gold. Did you feel that in your senior year that it was more than about competing for you? It was more about the team and like has that carried you to like of your professional career or has it kind of shifted again once you got up to Alaska, you decided to get your postgraduate program up there in Alaska and join Alaska Pacific University program and really get into your training again. So I'm really curious to see what happened, I think, from your perspective between like college time and then when you transitioned up to Alaska, did something switch for you? And if so, what was it, that motivation to keep yeah. it going. I don't really think it switched. Like when my coach called me into her office and was like, team needs you. I, it did make me realize like how important being part of a team was. Uh, I still was like, not where I wanted to be. And like getting through that senior spring without those people around me would have been hard. And I think my coach saw that this is going to be better for her as a person. If she's like part of this team and in, in this community and this support system. Um, and then also hopefully we can get her like skiing fast enough that she contributes to our team being good. Uh, but I think it was like definitely a twofold thing. And those were all my like best friends at school. And so I think it was really important to like be in that environment. And it was the first time, so I'm a female coach in college. And that was my first time being coached by a female. Um, at Dartmouth, the men's and women's teams are quite separate. So like I was on a women's ski team with a woman coach and it, coming from a high school team that I was more or less the only girl on with a male coach, it was like a total 180. And it was like such a cool experience. And I absolutely loved it. Like it was amazing to be surrounded by a group of strong women every day, pushing each other. And it was amazing to have a female guiding us who like had been there, had understood it, like skied at a very high level herself and like really wanted us to be not only fast skiers, but just like very strong women in life. And so after that, I decided like, if I'm going to keep skiing, I need an environment like this. This is really important to me. And like you said, there's not many female coaches. So 
it actually was not an option for me to have a female coach after that, but I could join a team that had a lot of really strong female racers. So that was why I came to Alaska. Uh, Sadie Bjornsson had come up here for college um, and she was one of my best friends like, through racing as juniors. And so, you know, I called her up to like, like, what's the deal up here? And she's like, it's incredible. You got to come up here. We're going to get better here. And so I'm like, okay, well, I have one friend anyway. So like, I guess that's good enough. And Keegan was up here training and then Holly Brooks. And there was a whole group of like very strong women here. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to see what my potential is, I need to be surrounded by the best that I can. And that was really important to me. And so that was like ultimately why I came up here. Um, yes, I am probably rare in that I ha have had a female coach, but I also feel fortunate that like all of the male coaches I have had have been very supportive. I fortunately have not felt like discriminated against as a female athlete by any of my coaches. And so uh, the environment that I moved up to here in Alaska with was just like very incredible. It was so powerful to like just be immersed in this group. And I was so far behind from all my injuries and stuff that had happened in the last two years. I had never been so motivated. Like I just so badly wanted to like be a contributing member of this group. Um, and so it made it easy. Like I had great role models with me every day and that bar was like out there and it was motivating. I had a coach that was like willing to support me through it, even though it was going to be like a long path to get back to like fitness that I needed. And it was hard. It's not like every day was fun. Like it was super hard. I first year here, I'd like to Nate and ski. And that was like really it because I was so tired all the time, <laughs> but like I wanted to do it. Um, so that made it easier. And like, I think being part of a, a group like that made that motivation easy to find in yourself. Being surrounded by strong women is very empowering. I find it. I hope everyone has an experience to like be in a group like that because it, it really does make a big difference. I totally agree. I think they're so important to have women role models and just have more powerful women around you. It's a big reason why we built Viz is like bring powerful women together to help other young women, right? And I want to dive a little bit into this coaching thing because there is this really incredible organization out there called the Women's Ski Coaches Association, and they are really trying to develop and bring more women coaches into the skiing environment. But why is it that there are not very many women as coaches today? Like, why do you think that is? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, I think one of the challenges in cross country skiing in particular is the importance of uh, ski waxing <laughs> and the ski technician side of things. And I think for whatever reason, whether it's like cultural or just actually some difference between males and females, there are a lot of females that aren't interested in that aspect, I think. And so I think that is like a particular barrier in skiing. Although I also think the waxing, like the fact that you have to be. In yeah. Like if you're like a head coach of a junior team, it's not really junior teams that have a budget to hire a head coach and like a head wax deck. <laughs> like that's kind of a lot. Um, and so like you end up doing both and there's no reason why a woman can't. And there probably are women that are interested. I just think traditionally it's been a very, you know, it's like kind of being like a construction worker. Like it's a veil, very male dominated oriented field for whatever reason. Um, and so I think that's been a particular barrier for skiing. Although, you know, I think this is probably like countrywide, probably worldwide phenomenon of being a more male dominated space. So that's obviously not the only reason. Um, but I do think it's like super great that this group has gotten together and tried to like some of these boundaries. We have 
been able to have some like fellowships and apprenticeships for young women to come like, on the World Cup with us and experience coaching and wax teching on that level and introduce them. And we've started hiring female coaches on the national team level. So I do hope things are shifting, but it, it's definitely a challenge because it, I think there's people that want to hire female coaches and then there's just like not very many to choose from. So it's like, it's to start from the bottom and then come up. And so it's a balancing act right now. And then I do really hope that we can get there because it was a really cool experience to have a female coach. Absolutely. Well, we're here to support that. And I'm looking forward to working with that organization and other incredible women like you who maybe they're not saying that you want to do this, but maybe some professional athletes that want to transition. And when they transition out of sport, transition into coaching and showing that they're like essentially removing some of the barriers. Because even if you just look at the athletic side of ski racing between men and women. Recently in 2021, professional women skiers were paid 30 cents to every dollar a professional male skier was paid. So obviously a barrier can be yeah. pay. <laughs> uh, it can be what you earn. And I'm assuming that even though that's a stat that's specifically for athletes within skiing, it probably translates to coaches. We see it at the collegiate level that women coaches are paid less than male coaches. And so I think this is one of the areas, the inequities that we need to fix. Uh, and it's frustrating to see that. I'm wondering as a professional athlete, like, do you feel those inequities along the way in the ski industry? Because you know, we're kind of talking about your story here where you're, you're finishing college, you decide to go to Alaska, you're going to be starting kind of a professional career. Um, has it improved like, over the last like three or four years you have been a professional? And do you feel and see those inequalities today? Yeah, in our country, I would say it has improved. Uh, I want to say it was 2006. I was a junior in high school that year and the national team cut the entire women's ski team. So there was no cross country women's ski team. So you're sitting as a junior in high school and you're like, hi, I really love skiing. I'd love to be a professional. Oh, wait, there's no national team. You're kind of like, well, <laughs> the future's not looking so bright. I think that was one of the reasons I decided to go to college and not seek professional skiing out right away because it was like, what is professional skiing? Like, is it even a thing? Does it exist? You know? Um, and uh, fortunately, like the uh, college skiing circuit is robust enough that I didn't really give it too much thought. I just kind of like wrapped myself into that world. I mean, Keegan was just an absolute trailblazer. And just even though they weren't going to support her on the national team, she just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and had so much belief. And finally got the national team to like support her again. And then not only support her, but like bring in other girls because she was so adamant that she needed people to train with and travel and race with. Um, and team has been so important to her and so she's always like other women into the fold with her and so that was changed my life forever too and so kind of like made that such a important part of the women's U.S. cross-country ski team that we're a team that we did it together that we looked out for one another and that we would never be successful if we didn't figure out how to do that um, and so that's definitely been her legacy and that's something that we have been able to like carry on with as we've like moved through generations now. And so the women's cross country team really took off after that. And we've had a massive success in the last decade um, from starting with Keegan and then it's just like accelerated from there. And so uh, it is this interesting dynamic where like the women cross country skiers are have had so much success that uh, I think we often overshadow the men, which is probably pretty unique for most sports. Um, and so it is a really cool experience to be part of that. And 
We're also lucky we do have equal prize money for our races. For men and women, I'm very proud of that in cross-country skiing. But like you said, one still is this pay discrepancy. And and I think that's maybe one of the hardest things to juggle because obviously it's not coming from prize money. It's coming from endorsements, from sponsorship deals, from equipment sponsors, that sort of thing. And we sign our contracts. We're like not allowed to talk about how much we're getting. So it's like, I have no idea if I'm getting like 30 cents to a dollar of like my male compatriot that's like doesn't have the same results that I do. That's not something I am privy to. And so that makes it kind of like living a little bit in a black hole. Like you don't really know. Um, And so I guess that's why this research is and these stats are like so, so important because it's hard to um, empower one another to like ask for more money when you have no idea what like actual worth is. To continue listening to this podcast, please go to voiceandsport.com and sign up for free. Head over to minute number 35 to get started. Rosie goes on to reflect on the pay gap between genders in skiing. Hope that we can continue to push other countries and like push other uh, female competitors from other countries to kind of lift themselves up and empower them as well, because there's no reason why it can't be like an international movement. Making her first Olympic team. And so I finally had broken through some barriers internationally on the World Cup and was feeling like I had found my place. I was much more confident in my skiing. So I, I like easily made the Olympic team uh, and that was my first Olympic team. So, you know, it was for sure a dream come true. And how she was able to overcome Mono during her first Olympic games and have a lot of success in her second Olympics. And, you know, this year in particular, like just getting to the Olympics was like, honestly, maybe the biggest hurdle <laughs> of like the last 15 years of my career. It challenged me in ways like, I'm not sure I'll ever be challenged again in my life. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Kate Tugman, a track and cross-country athlete from UCLA. If you liked our conversation with Rosie, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Just scroll down to the bottom of the Voice of Sport podcast page on Apple Podcasts app and click leave a review. Please click the share button in this episode and send it to another athlete that you think might enjoy our conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. And please follow along with Rosie and her incredible journey on Instagram at Rosie W. Brennan. If you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join Voice and Sport, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes like Rosie, and access to the top biz experts in sports psychology, nutrition, and more. And if you're interested in learning more about sexism in the world of sports and how we can prevent this, check out episode number 95 with champion race car driver Julia Landauer. See you next week on the Voice in Sport podcast.